Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Let's go back to school with Deborah Adams author of Adventures in Goose Park. Actually, I retired from teaching 11 years ago. Oh, geez. Where? In Chicago, in the Chicago South Suburbs. So I was in um, District 211. That would be like um, Olympia Fields. Okay. Very nice area. What'd you teach? I taught Spanish. Okay. So yes, I'm a retired Spanish teacher. But but in the more recent years, working with children, I've taught from K to 12. Working with the children, you know, this generation and the previous generation have had such a problem with reading that I started thinking, well, what good is it for me to teach Spanish if they can't even read English? So I went back, I got my master's a few years ago, and I wanted to learn how to write curriculum. I have a master's in curriculum and instruction. And I started writing books that would work with where the children were you know you you really have to teach them according to how they best learn and that takes a lot of study to be able to do that and the books that we were using are like like one you know one size fits all but what if i could do something to pull their interest more you know even more so into what they're reading it wouldn't just look so utterly academic and that's when i started writing just little make little makeshift homemade books. I would print them, bind them myself, and bring them into the classroom, and they loved them. But why aren't kids reading? There's there's a lot of great books out there. There are. Is it because parents aren't reading with them? That's a big problem. Where the, the parental parental support is a big problem, or parental investment in their children in so many areas is almost non-existent. And that's a huge problem for us because it's to the point where a lot of younger parents, and I'm not talking across the board, you know, there's exceptions everywhere, but in the public school, we find that there are so many parents that are working two jobs and the children are on their own. So we have to make up for that when they come into the classroom. Now, what we're taught when we're in, learning to teach in college, is that 80% of what the children learn is from home. 20% comes from actual interaction in the school. And we have to miraculously turn that 20% into 80. And you suddenly start walking in with books that you're writing yourself. Why did the students like them so much? Partly probably because I wrote it. (laughs) Okay. Which made them take interest. And I put a lot of drama in my books. Okay. And not that there's not drama in other ones, but so often, you know, the books that we have are books that someone else chose for the children. It's not that what they, it's, you know, unless it's a book fair and they can choose their own and that works well, they can read on their own. But as far as the classroom set, mm-hmm. those are just regular standard reading books. Now, um, lately I've noticed that some of the stories are more interesting, but so often there would be more of deadpan, how do bees make honey type stories. Right. Yeah. And the children, how, how long would that last? Five minutes of attention and it's gone. Right. Right. And that's when I started writing my own. Okay. 
And so I would use animals to go through different, you know, um, challenges or have some, whatever I would do. I had to have some sort of um, moral to the story. Okay. So we could have a, a discussion after reading it or doing the exercises with it. And they really got more involved and probably a lot because I wrote it. Right. But they were getting more involved, and that was my my goal. So, is Adventures in Goose Park the book that we're talking about today? Is that the first yeah. in a series or one of many? It is my first book published. Period. But yes, it is going to be the first of a series. Okay. Well, yeah. Tell me about it. All right. Now, you're this this, this what I'm about to tell you is not going to sound believable. Okay. But. Trust me, it is totally true. Okay. With no exaggeration. It was about um, over, it was over 20 years ago. And I happened to be visiting with some um, uh, church friends down in um, Columbus, Georgia. And they took us, you know, sightseeing around. And we went to this beautiful Shangri-La type of park. And while we were sitting there, you know, looking around, it's enjoying the weather and, and the park was just gorgeous. Um, a flock of geese were in the lagoon. And there was like one, like it looked like the leader of one was on the right and he had his little amen corner behind him. And then there was another one on the left that was facing off with him and he had his little amen uh, corner behind him. And the two literally... With the sounds they were making at each other, it sounded like they were arguing. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I have never seen anything like that before. I mean, it was like <laughs> that kind of noise back and forth at each other. <laughs> and the two, and each one had its own little group saying, yeah, mm, that's right. You know, <laughs> and then one of them, the one on the left, I guess, became angry mm-hmm. And he lifted up his wing and slapped the water and slapped the water right into the other one's face and switched and swam off. And his little amen corner swam off with him. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. It's hilarious. I said, you thought they had a script. And so I I just I was I was mesmerized at that point. I was just watching. And about 15 minutes later, that same one that went off turned around. And came back with this little group, and the one that he had insulted came out into the water to meet him, and they started talking in more softer tones. Oh. Literally, literally, I never saw anything like that again. They went to cool off. They went to cool off, and they talked in more softer tones. And do you know that when they were done with their little clicking and clacking with one another? They all turned together and became one group again. And the one that was so belligerent started following, I guess, who was the real leader. And they all went to shore and started coming up out of the water together. Oh, I just love that. Yes. And that stuck with me. For 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) And so a couple of, well, a year and a half ago, a couple of years ago, I started thinking about that again. And I thought about the geese, and I said, I don't think there's any a story been written about geese. So I decided to make Adventures in Goose Park. And the first chapter talks about um, Kiko, a very wise and concerned leader of his flock, 
And there was one who was jealous of him named Tonka, who didn't want to be subject to leadership. <laughs> and they fell out. You know, they had their argument. And he splashed water in Kiko's face and turned and took his little group with him. <laughs> the only difference I had to add to it. <laughs> but so many lessons here. So many great lessons. Yes. And so I, uh, I have multiple lessons to be learned in each chapter. Is there like a work thing in each chapter? Yes. Oh, my yes. goodness. So all, I want, from now on, the books that I write, I want them all to have language arts activities in them and um, uh, a scaffolding for discussion, mm -hmm. talking about things in our life or the lives of young people who will be reading them. Because it's like I would recommend that to second and third grade. Right. Yeah. And so for those that are that have read the story, what is your personality like? Is it like Kiko, Tonka, or one of the other characters in the story? Each one has a distinct type of of personality. You know, that, that works for the flock or works against it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. hardest thing, wouldn't you say the hardest thing to learn how to do is to let go. When you're wrong, it's okay if you're wrong. It's okay if you made a mistake and you were loud. You can, mm -hmm. you know, you can go away, cool off, come back, say you're sorry and move on. Don't you think exactly. that's the hardest thing, though? People hang on to anger. I mean, grownups could learn yes. from this story. What are you Absolutely. kidding? Absolutely. And you're right, because there's a thing called pride. Yeah. And pride, pride is good in its place. So you, you know, take care of yourself. You might not, you don't let yourself be used or walked on or anything like that. Okay. Self-pride or self-esteem. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's positive. But when that pride starts to bully others or to do wrong and now you're too proud to take down. Right. Or to admit guilt. Then we have a problem that affects everybody around that individual. Right. 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 And in the and in the book, that's exactly what happened. It was Tonka's pride that wouldn't let him take down when Kiko admonished him for things he was doing that was counter counterproductive for the flock. Right. And he wouldn't take down and he led others astray because he wasn't happy. Right. But he couldn't have his way. So the others are ready to abandon him. And doesn't that happen out here in life? It sure does. Mm -hmm. on so many levels this is yeah. so so each chapter has a workbook you discuss words you discuss feelings yes and like what happens next okay well at the end of the book they're getting ready to you know they have their this their nesting time is what they spent in goose park you know, their, their eggs were laid, the babies were born, you know, they prepared them to get ready to learn to fly and be able to keep up with the flock when it's time to move on. So as winter was approaching, it was time to go. And that's where the book ended. And so hopefully when I, I got to sit down and start typing it. Right, right. <laughs> right. But when uh, book two comes out, it will start with um, in, in, in the air, in their voyage. And things are going to come against them in their effort, <clears throat> excuse me, to make that um, new location yeah. for their 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 um, summer home, where they're where they're headed. What are what what type of things can come against them? Well, there's eagles, there's hawks in the air. Mm -hmm. 
there's storms. All kind of things can happen. If the young geese don't listen to the older ones, what can happen to knock them out of the air? Mm-hmm. And formation. Their formations are so... And, everybody. Absolutely. And that, it's, it, it, their formation is very purposeful. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and oh, yeah. I, I think we need some good PR for the geese because, you know, what's happened here in the Northeast, you know, our winters aren't so bad and the geese... They used to go away. They don't go away. They kind of hang around. They're all over the sports fields. The kids, I remember my kids were little. They're slipping on the goose poop, right? Because it's all over the place. (laughs) And then, you know, the dogs come out and they run after the geese, which which is good. That's fine. It's cute. (laughs) Until, you know, my dog grabbed one and this lady started screaming at me. And it was just like, oh, my God. And I'm telling my dog, stop, drop the goose, drop the goose. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, they're fascinating to watch. They are fascinating yes, they animals are. and you can just see, you know, their their whole their family ties and they have emotions yes. and they care about their babies and but yes. but they're getting a bad rap, man. Getting a bad rap because there's there's just a million of them. That's true. And and that's where there's a problem because there's so many. Like you said they're not migrating. Now, some still continue to migrate as their ancestors did. And the others said, like you said, oh, this is pretty good. We're, we can like make this. Yeah. yeah, why bother? Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. especially if people give food to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we need some good PR. I'm glad you're, right. you, you picked. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this book, is, this book is definitely good PR. For, and it makes you want to feel a little more um, um, benevolent, benevolent toward That's the geese. Right. That's correct. Yes. Yes. So I'm wondering, like, I, you know, I talk to a lot of teachers that, you know, because I don't believe teaching, it's not a job, it's a calling. So a lot of, there's a lot of people like you out there who leave the classroom or they go back to school, they continue their education, they start writing children's books, they want kids to read, same thing that you're Mm -hmm. doing. And they want to, they want to get a curriculum out there. Yes. And it sounds to me like that's not the easiest thing to do. No, it's not. Okay. It's the, and, and you really need a team to do that because teachers, we, we're, we try to do those kind of things on our own. Yeah. And we don't have a team working with us. It's just ideas that we have and we're trying to put it together. But there's too much involved for one person to try to do that. Yeah. Yeah, there's too much research that's needed, you know. And, and not only that, if we're trying to, we have to, are we going to publish all of that? Yeah. What is it going to cost us? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people will just kind of give it up. Yeah. But you're doing something in your backyard. What? What's that's awesome. Right. You know, right. do you feel like you're being supported? Do you feel like, I mean, are you able to actually sell these books? Like did the school buy a bunch? Um, the, the school didn't buy a bunch. The, the school doesn't, you know, that, we're near the end of the semester. Right. The book has just come out, okay. you know, right, less than two months ago. So it's it's not for this semester for uh, for schools to really buy, but marketing over the summer mm-hmm. and preparing for the fall, I'm looking to see a, a great sale. I know it's selling already because people are calling me and contacting me and saying, hey, I got your book. I love it. You know, that kind How of thing. How do they know about it? Oh, well, I've been putting it out there. <laughs> what have you been doing? But before the book we even went to print, I was sharing, you know, that I was writing it, you know, and I and the other little books, little homemade books that I've had. Um, I even sold some of those 
to people because they really liked them. So they knew I was writing stories and I started talking about Goose Park, you know, while I was still writing it. And once I submitted it to Fulton, you know, I just I said, okay, uh, pray for me. It's, it's gone in. <laughs> right. But and you so, started talking about your book and you started talking about the characters and what you witnessed. Exactly. Yeah. I, I try to tell people that and, and people are, they find that interesting, right? Your followers find that interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they've yeah, been following it. And a relatives from living in California, is your book out yet? You know, <laughs> it's, it's in a few more weeks, it's coming. And so there was an anticipation and I have a pretty large following on Facebook, which is very convenient now, especially. Right. You know, I have nearly a thousand people that I have as friends. Nearly, you know, past students, other teachers, you know, um, congreg church congregations in other parts of the country and all uh. of that. But we keep up with each other. So now that's a beautiful network to, to begin to market my book. And that's right. not, not including what Fulton itself is doing because they're marketing the book now. So right. I'm looking for it to get very good exposure. And who knows, maybe one day Disney will pick it up and say, oh, this will make a wonderful animated movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. That so would be actually fabulous. Would. Yeah, it really it would make a good animated movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still in Chicago? Yes. Area? Mm -hmm. good. good for you. Good for oh, you. Yeah. yeah, we're hanging in there. All right. Yeah. <laughs> With your new, don't you have a new mayor? Yes, we do. So, and I'm 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 active in the community too. So it'll be interesting to see how well he'll work with us. Anticipating, you know, some good cooperation. I hope so. Yes, we we, we need some cooperation. We All definitely over. do. Definitely All over. do. All over. <laughs> You're right. You're doing a great thing. You really, really are. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, teachers need to hear that encouragement. You know what uh, I mean? I, I, my mother was a teacher. My brothers oh, both were teachers. My sister was a teacher. My brother-in-law oh, wow. was a teacher. <laughs> yeah. And then I tried to teach. And okay. I, I, I would, okay. So my first stab was with middle schoolers. Okay. In a very wealthy school district. Mm -hmm. And they knew everything. And you it's know what the big thing was? I skipped a grade. I skipped a grade. I'm supposed to be in fourth grade, but I'm in fifth. Mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, I know how to do that. I was like, what? Yep. What? What? And, and it doesn't, and they don't have to be in a wealthy school district to have that attitude, believe me. Oh, man, Absolutely. you're the best. I wish you the best of luck, Deborah. You Thank go, you girl. Thank you so much. I really appreciate <laughs> it. You have a great day. All right, you too. And thank you again. And I look forward to talking to you again. Brian Dalton is the author of our next book, Koji, Legends Never Die. You know what's cracking me up? Your name's Brian Dalton. You know, isn't there a Dalton Books? Dalton there used to be, well, it used to be Barnes, uh, B. Dalton Bookstore. That's it's it. now Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, you write when? During my lunches, well, we have like a mandatory one-hour lunch. So instead of just wasting my time doing nothing, I, I've started, I created this amazing story, you know, to uh, dedicate to my idol, Kobe Bryant. Oh, and it's kind of like a futuristic thing. It is a futuristic book, yes. What's that got to do with Kobe Bryant? Well, I don't know if you know about this, uh, this game with the Aztecs and Mayans used to play. There's many different names, but one of the names is called uh, Puck A Talk. And uh, it's similar to basketball. They use a rubber ball, and uh, and there's a vertical hoop which is made out of stone. And they 
they imitated what they could from these uh, foreign beings. What they, you know, what also helped them, uh, you know, make the, the temples and uh, taught them about the stars. That's why their calendar was so accurate. Okay. Well, they were practicing this, uh, this game, you know, because they knew that there was going to be a test of humanity, you know, someday in the future to make sure, you know, hum- the human morals are like on a, a correct path and not going to be like, you know, parasites who, um, like what we're doing to the earth right now. <laughs> they don't want us to go out and, and destroy, you know, the universe like we're doing to our own home planet. Right. So, so they had this game. It's not just a game of athletics, but also a game of morals to make sure, you know, when we do go outside our solar system, we're not going to go destroy everything. So this game is real. It is real. Yes. And Kobe Bryant's connection to the game is real. Uh, yes. He's going to be playing the game as well as with the other uh, eight passengers, the helicopter. Kobe was just on a different level. I mean, his work, his work ethic, I mean, was unlike anyone else. And uh, if you ever watch his motivational speeches, I mean, his, his speeches are just amazing. I mean, it's like Barack Obama talking. It, it's just, it's so spot on. So that inspired you to do this futuristic book. Correct. And also, I, I grew up in L.A. and I'm exactly, exactly five days older than Kobe. So he was eight, you know, number eight for the longest time. And eight was my favorite number. I have like three eights on my birth date. And, you know, he grew, he grew up in, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Right. I, I grew up, I spent some time in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania growing up before we moved to California. And now I'm, I'm stuck here in Charlotte, you know, and he was supposed to be drafted first to, to Charlotte. So so you feel a connection. I, I do feel like there's a connection. Uh, well, so this book, it takes place in 3012. And uh, see, we missed a ciphered. Everyone thought the Aztec and Mayan calendar ended 2012. Well, in my book, it's misdeciphered by a thousand years. And so in the future, uh, no one is prepared to play such a, an event like this because on Earth, there's no one living on Earth except for people in domed cities. Uh, going outside is, is not possible because of uh, just how we destroyed our own planet with wars and plagues and uh, just pollution. So everyone, everyone on Earth is living in domed cities and... Uh, the other better off fortunate people are living in space. And so people haven't played sports in hundreds and hundreds of years. And eventually, uh, 3012 mine and uh, Aztec calendar actually ended in the book. Uh, that's when humanity is going to be put to a test by these foreign beings from around all around the, the, uh, our galaxy. And the game is based off what the minds and Aztecs used to practice, the Pika talk. So, of course, you know, people in the future... They're, you know, they rely on machines and robots to do anything physically. No one really, you know, no one really plays any sports anymore. So no one's prepared. So they have this uh, prototype time machine, which is a, uh, it's run off of a, a piece of neutron star, which is almost a perfect sphere. And this neutron star, if you have it rotating at the right momentum and c- at controlled speed, it could rip a hole through time and space. And uh, it can take you anywhere, anytime you know, in the world. And to me, I think, you know, with that, it has a gravitational field, which I think to me, gravity is actually faster than the speed of light. And so uh, their intentions were to go back in time to get 10 NBA basketball players since the game they're playing is similar. So their for- first choice was Kobe Bryant. And uh, so they made, you know, they made the jump back to January 20th, 26, uh, 2020. Okay. And they, their intentions, you know, to get Kobe first and get nine other NBA players and they have these vessels. They're like 
human vessels where they can actually tr transport the soul of the person into these vessels. And these vessels will eventually adapt to their characteristics and their looks. But the thing about these vessels, they're all they're all six foot six tall. They're, so they were supposed to go back and get all NBA players. So they're all the same height. And so there's a problem with a, with a neutron star. There's a fracture and it's about to rip itself apart. So they only had time to make one jump. And that was, uh, they got Kobe and decided to get the eight others off the helicopter. And they transferred all their souls into these new vessels, into the time machine where they had to take to the future to play this uh, game against these foreign beings to uh, preserve humanity. And if we lose the game or, you know, our morals are not in a correct position, their plan is to destroy our sun. And that's why, like, the Aztecs and Mayans, the sun was so important to them. They worshipped the sun. Right. Because they, they knew about these games. And they were so smart about this, about space and uh, the time and the, the accuracy of how the planet rotates around the sun. And how they built everything, all the, you know, the, the temples, not only just there, but also in Egypt. Yeah, I mean, just go to Peru. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's amazing the way they built these cities and everything lines up with the sun and the, with the sun gate and they worship. I mean, it's crazy. And and it's so accurate, you know, the winter and summer solstice. I mean, it yes. looks like, you know, one of the stairs, it looks like a dragon coming down the stairs. And it's just, how did they do this? And obviously... I mean, to me, if you ever watch Ancient Aliens, maybe they had help from foreign beings, you know? Well, it, well, they thought that for a long time about Peru. Right, and not just Peru, but in, also in Egypt, also with the pyramids. Right. And there's an, an interesting, uh, these real hieroglyphics in Egypt, they're in a temple of setting, and uh, there's a, actually a helicopter, which actually has nine slashes below this helicopter. And uh, under the side, there's like some uh, looks like some spaceships and time machines over to the side. If you ever go to uh, Wikipedia and look up uh, Temple of Seti helicopter hieroglyphics, right? I mean, of course they've been uh, they've been etched in, they've been recovered and etched in again, but eventually Mother Nature produced these images. What are on there now to me, which is a prophecy of Kobe Bryant and the other nine people, eight people on the helicopter saving the world. And if you read these facts about what these hieroglyphics mean, I mean, it's pretty much similar to what my book is all about. Wow. Yes. And also, uh, if you look about, look at it, uh, Temple of SETI, SETI also stands for uh, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, which is coincidence or destiny. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, Brian, but you sure give us something to think about. Uh, yes. And I promise you, after you read this book, you'll have doubts thinking maybe this is actually what happened. So does Kobe Bryant save the world? He plays this game, and that's the question. I have a feeling it doesn't end here. It doesn't, no. You leave us hanging? Oh, yeah. Because, uh, well, to me, I mean, Kobe, Kobe Bryant was everything to me. I didn't want him going out like this. No. I mean, I, I can't stand him not being here with us. So, you know, with this book and other books to come, you know, you can continue believing that he's still out there. And still use you know the mamba mentality and uh but yeah uh you're gonna be on a constant search because that piece of neutron star they used for the time machine was very rare and impossible to replace so they're going to be eventually searching our galaxy and entire universe for this other piece of neutron star to get home to their family you must be telling people about this oh i'm, I'm yes i am telling people about this i just need to get it in the right people's hands and i'm supposed to be doing a book signing here in uh in may Two weeks ago, I've been sending my books out to uh, like news stations. I, I did two news stations in uh, L.A. Sent my books to these places, hoping to hear back from them. I have, I have heard back from one of them, 
And um, yeah, I think I think he wants to read the book before he does anything else. But yeah, he he called me. He called me. It was a uh, Jim Hill. Okay, good. Yeah, he called me immediately after he received the book. He's seen on the okay. desk, and he actually has done interviews with Kobe Bryant before. So he, I, I'm sure he's reading about it, and then he was he's wow impressed that I did such a thing, you know, in honor of Kobe and Gianna. And so, uh, yeah, I did uh, Jimmy. I sent one to Jimmy Kimmel and uh, another news station in L.A. Because Jimmy Kimmel was actually always did interviews, and he was actually there at the memorial, there at the Staples Center. Uh, also, I sent one to Good Morning America. Okay. And uh, Inside Edition. Okay, so what about locally, where you are, from people you uh, know? You know st- yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina. It's, it's hard to find major Kobe Bryant fans here. It'd be much easier. Charlotte? Yeah. I, I, Wait I, a I, yeah, I live here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, it would be much easier. Like North Carolina isn't a big basketball state? Come on. It is. Yes, they are. Just, uh, I, maybe they're just stubborn to the idea. I mean, you got to find the right people. Okay, so it just sounds to me you're really reaching, you know. So you you know people where you are, correct? I do. I do. You know people. Yes. They know people. This is, is, you know, I, this is what I tell everybody, you know, just start with your own friends who like you, who are, know that you're working your butt off trying to write a book and gather them together uh-huh. and have them bring their friends together. It can be a party atmosphere. Right. It can be in a bar. It can be in a library. It depends on like your personality. Like what, what are you into? Some people have book signings in, in like the very hyper local bookstores. A lot of people come to where you are to go on vacation. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. They might want to read a book on the beach how well known are you in your community? Uh-huh. Is there a local paper, even an online paper? I know newspapers are dead, but right. that that could do an article on you because the the Kobe tie-in is very interesting. But you surely don't need an interest in basketball oh, no. to to feel a connect to this story. This is like a futuristic. There's people out there writing stories like this. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it, it. You know what it, I mean? It's not just you don't have to be just a Kobe Bryant fan to. I mean, this is, I mean, hopefully someday they turn this into a movie because this will be an amazing movie. Right. Well, we also do farmer's markets. My wife, she has this earthly dressings and uh, I have the book and that I'm going to be selling at the okay. farmer's markets. My, my, my okay, wife, sounds... she, knows, she has lots of friends and people she knows. There you go. The crazy thing was uh, after I received my first, my, my, my first books in the mail, the paperback, yeah. I, I went through page publishing. Uh, uh, the next day, I you know I gave some to my wife to to go sell in the in the mall. The next day, Alan Iver you know Alan Iverson was in the mall and she was able to give him one of my books to Alan Iverson. Alan Iverson just happened to be in the mall. Yes, yeah, he lives here in Charlotte, North Carolina. He <laughs> and he visit he visits Concord Mills Mall. Yes. Uh, yes, said the man who doesn't think anything basketballish is going on where he lives. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, what are the chances of that? That's, that's pretty I, I funny. know. I know. But he was in a rush and he, he, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't want a bunch of people going up to him, but he, he didn't. My wife was able to hand him the book and that oh. was it. But we haven't heard anything yet. And, uh, All right. and we went on, a, uh, we went to LA in January and I, I put up some flyers around the Staples Center. Well, I know it's called the crypto arena now. Yeah, I always call it the Staples Center, but yeah, uh, and I gave one to uh, AC Green, which used what played with uh, Kobe Bryant for for one year. 
before the game, uh, you're able, you know, every once in a while they have like a, uh, a Lakers legend where you can take pictures with. Well, it was uh, oh, yeah. the time we went, it was AC Green. Right. And we got his autograph and I gave him one of my books. So he has nice. one of my books. Nice. Yes. And also I would like to say, you know, Koji also stands for keep on giving inspiration, which that was the most important thing that Kobe Bryant was to inspire others to achieve their dreams. And it's short for Kobe and Gigi, his daughter. Now, is Gianna a character in your book? She is. She uh, yes, she's she is the one who I uh, scores the last two points and wins the game. Okay. Yes, they're supposed to have ten competitors, so they're already a man down, a person short. Okay. They only have nine who are playing against ten of these other foreign beings in this game, and it's a lot more advanced than what the Aztecs and Mayans played. They just try to simulate. What okay. they, you know, what the foreign beings are telling about this game, right. but this game, what you know, Kobe Bryant and Gianna and the seven others are going to be playing is much more advanced. Okay. Keep making good use of those lunch breaks at UPS. Uh, oh yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just using a Mamba mentality. You know, I'm not going to waste my time and get it done. No. No. Try to achieve my dreams. You know. Good for and, you. You know, being that there was a, always a beetle in bookstore, I always thought, you know, I have to come up with some kind of book. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've always been a good, I, I've always been a good story writer. Just never really had a subject I was passionate about until now. Well, there you go. And All right, yes. Brian. I appreciate. Yes. Thank you very much, too. Thank you. No shortage of inspiration for Oliver Tyson. He's been a driver for the last couple of years, but a writer for life. He has published his third book. It is entitled I Dream. So how did it work out for the other two? I, I didn't know how to do it. I was new to it. And so, uh, yes. So when did yes, you publish so. your first book? In, in my teens, oh. um, later teens. It, it, was, it was not very good, but I, I was trying to do it and yeah so i self-published it and i have no i had no idea what i was doing so it, it did not do well at all right so <laughs> where, yeah. where did you get the idea for i dream so i dream is it's actually based off a dream i had when i was a very was very young and i tried to write it and i could never write it it's it was a, it's a very complicated book to write so i kept trying and then um during during covid when everything was closed down I had a lot more time and it just happened. I started writing and I actually finally got to write the whole story down. So so this story's kind of been with you for a long time. And we have, ladies and gentlemen, another COVID book. I can't tell you how many people were thinking about it, thinking about it, but just didn't have the time. And then COVID hit and it was like, hey, I got the time. I got time to think. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Does it relate to your life in any way? Uh not not directly okay. no like there, there's nothing that's like a direct from my life but um a lot of a lot of small things from people i've met uh, along my travels and things like that so it's about fate and faith it's it's the story of people who are, are destined for greatness from before they actually achieve it and it's it's in the process of of their journey and it's um told in first person so that it can have um, an intimacy that even the people with them don't see, like all their thoughts and fears and insecurities, they kind of put out where they don't even believe in themselves. It's like an insurmountable task kind of thing. And they have a hard time 
overcoming it. It's three stories. One of them is in ancient land called Archaea. One is in more modern times and one is in the future. All right. So tell me about the first story. It's about a bastard prince. Yeah. So it's about a, a man who's, he just turns 50 and he's, his father's impotent. He couldn't, he couldn't have children. So he got lucky 50 years ago. And then, so he grows up, the, the bastard prince grows up knowing that he's going to be king. And then on his 50th birthday, his father impregnates another woman. And since, and this woman is royalty. So the the child gets, was is going to be the heir now. Oh. So instead of waiting, as he's done his whole life, he finally, he needs to step up and act on it. And so he does something kind of vile. He hires someone, a witch, to poison the woman and kill him, kill her. And this first time he's ever actually done something real in his life, it makes him want to, to really take the throne. And so he, he launches this kind of conspiracy to, to, to push himself into the throne and, and change the story so that people aren't just talking about the guy who just kind of happened to be king. He, he, wants, to, he wants to be regal. He wants, he wants to earn it. Okay, so that's so, yeah, that's his journey. So that's the first story, and then the next story is about a woman. Yes, well, I, I see it as a woman. Um, for the middle story, I try to keep the gender kind of um, vague. I want it's again it's written in the first person, so I want the reader to kind of feel like this person as much as possible. Okay. So that's what I try to. Do. I don't know if it comes across. I always saw it as a woman. So, but yes, it's about a woman, and she meets she meets somebody. In, in a bar and they go for a walk and they go to a library and they find in this back end section um, print a picture, a portrait of her a very, very long time ago. It's like, almost like a doppelganger, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's like a reincarnation kind of thing. And so she's kind of launched on this journey to find who they are, the connection, because she feels connection. And it's, it's like a touch of magic that she finds in her life and she has to hunt it down. And it's a major thing because it requires like packing up everything she owns and traveling to a different country if there's never been and hunting for something. And so it's, it's this major thing, major event. And she doesn't know if she's enough for it, if she has the strength for it, the intelligence for it, or even if she's, there's anything real to it. So it's like it's a it's a journey that starts on something that that she doesn't know if she believes in. Really, it's it's the second story is most about doubts than anything. Okay. And then what happens in number three? So the third story is about a young girl in a far future who is writing. It's it's um, the third story is told as a diary. So she's kind of keeping a diary, and she's in an education system so the world is kind of um it's uh the one world government called the state and they suppress history and knowledge and they have this concept called um approved history pretty much the only the only source of history and it's it's not real it's um it's kind of made up to like inspire people and things like that and she has she wants to become one of the writers of approved history and this group called the the, the historic text so she wants to be one of the people who rewrites history 
and that's her aim. That's like the highest career you can have. And in this world, books, book, this is after a book burning and books are illegal. So one of her classmates um, drops a book and has one. So she's tried, at first she tries to like bring him back to the, back to the law, lawful living by um, like abandoning, apparently he has an illegal item and she, and she wants to um, help him through his illegal things. And she's kind of pulled into the world of almost like it's a drug, <laughs> like it's illegal. And the story is told from her perspective. So she's not, she doesn't approve of the life. But as she learns about like real world history and real world art that she's never heard of, it kind of entices her. Yeah, the third one's kind of hard to explain. I'm sorry. I No, that third one sounds scary. Because they're getting rid of books and they're rewriting history. Yes. That's frightening. Yes, it, it is. It Isn't is that frightening? I mean, we kind of have a little bit of that going on right now, don't we? We do. We do. But I want to tell a story about it from a perspective of someone who agrees with it. She confronts it and, ca- and tries to come to grips with it over her story. But at the beginning, she completely agrees with rewriting history and how history needs to be controlled. And when she's confronted with a whole different way of thinking, she tries to merge the two of them. And that's kind of the story about it because she has like this massive destiny in front of her because she's very smart and she's very studious. And she has perfect grades. And so she's pretty much going to become one of these important writers of rewriting history and choosing what is remembered and what is not. Okay. The story like of who, what she's going to represent when she gets there. She's pretty burnt. She knows she's going to get there. But over the story, she contemplates what she's going to represent when she gets there and who's, who's actually good, what's right and wrong. And yeah, so that's the story. I, so, and, and what all of these stories have in common is perseverance, overcoming difficulty, you know, finding what your purpose is in the yes, world. Yes, very much so. And they are also tied together. So the woman in the future is studying history and one and key part of history is the bastard prince who he starts a conspiracy he starts a war a lot of people die and so she's studying him and seeing how these wars are terrible things and we shouldn't have them and history shouldn't be taught about these people so that's what she thinks so she's studying him and yeah so so they are connected all three of them have connections that way so right. yeah but there are also individual stories they don't technically know about each other and they're just kind of going about their own story but there's an overarching theme it, it all ties together really well so yes that's very exciting oliver and, and when you're driving around and you're chauffeuring people do you talk about your book <laughs> do you say hey you know i'm more than just a driver <laughs> not too often every, every once in a while sometimes people ask and we get into conversation but yeah yeah, I'm just I'm trying to push it. So mostly online, because I definitely don't have too many friends, and they all already bought it, but there aren't that many of them, so it's not really. And I don't I don't have many friends who are like real readers, so yeah. So most of it's online, a little bit in person, but is that working out for you? Or are you able to get some attention? Um, it's still early in the process. Um, I have submitted it into a London book fair that happens later this month. And that's like the first major thing it's going to be in. But I have a couple other things going on. I'm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a advertisement for like on social media. I'm gonna put it into. So yeah, <laughs> I'll see. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're moving along. You're moving along at your own pace, and good for you. Yeah. Did you have a better experience? With this book than you did with the other two that you, you self-published? Um, yes, definitely. Um, the first two, I had no idea how anything worked. I kind of thought you just published it and it would just kind of sell, apparently. So I I didn't do any marketing whatsoever. They also, the first two weren't really about making sales. I just wanted to be a published author. And so I just kind of pushed them. Um, this one, I went with Page Publishing, which is a much a much better company and um i also purchased their hire package so they they do a lot more um with uh, with pushing and marketing the book and i'm actually marketing myself so it's been much better but hopefully we're going to see results very soon all right oliver well i wish you the best of luck thank you so much bye 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 We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime you want on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.